card, Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus 14, once you have found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, please, if you're able, so able to do, Exodus 14, and we're going to finish out the year looking at a sermon I believe will be a good challenge as we enter in to 2022. 2022 is right, among, right upon us, and uh, by the time we stand, uh, get into church next week, it will be 2022. This is the last Sunday of the year. Let's look at, at verse 10, and we're going to read down through verse 14. We'll begin together in verse 10, and then read every other verse together down through 14. Beginning in verse 10, let's go. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The title of the message this morning is this, How to Handle Uncertainty. How to Handle Uncertainty. Boy, every year seems to bring new things, new uh, problems, new rewards, and uh, some of you are right now in a place where you're fearful because of uncertainty that lies in your near future. We're going to look at this topic and we're going to give you a formula of how to handle uncertainty. I'm going to give you several thoughts um, uh, that are regular sermon outline, and then we're going to conclude the sermon with some very practical steps that you can leave with to know how to handle uncertainty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for being gracious to us and kind to us. Thank you that each and every day your mercies are new. And Lord, while our tomorrows are uncertain for us, they're never uncertain for you. Lord, you already live in our tomorrows. You're already there. Uh, you know how to handle uh, the, uh, the events that are coming our way. And Lord, the, the truth is you just need us to rest in you and trust you and not fret over that which is out of our control. As we look at this story today out of the book of Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and uh, Lord, the uh, events that led up to it, help us to be encouraged and challenged to go forth and lean on you and trust you. Lord, for those here that have not yet put their faith in you for salvation, may today be the day they call on your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know what you do, but each New Year's Eve, I stay up until midnight and bring in the new year with those dearest to me. How many of you plan on staying up until midnight this year? How many of you will be looking at the back of your eyelids when 2022 <laughs> come in? Okay, about half and half here. How many of you, when you were younger, stayed up and you no longer do that? All right, the older you get, some of you are in your 20s and you raise your hand. So uh, you're, you're old already. Uh, I like to stay up and ring in the new year with my family and uh, each time uh, when the clock strikes midnight, we say things like, Happy New Year, right? And uh, we, uh, we maybe watch the ball drop in New York or uh, wh whatever it would be. 
the last few years, I have gathered together with family and friends uh, close to me. And right at midnight, we've gathered and we've prayed. And we've asked God to give us a good year. We've made sure to get God right in on it, right at the very beginning. And, the, and we pray with a hopeful, optimistic spirit. Uh, we anticipate what the next 12 months will bring. Now, if we're all honest, what we hope for in 2022 is we hope for advances at work. We hope for richer, deeper relationships. We hope for better and better health. We hope for success for our children and our loved ones. And we hope for our own spiritual growth. How many of you, if you got all those things in 2022, you'd label that a successful year, wouldn't you? And I think we all want those things. We set resolutions and pledge to be a better version of ourselves. We do our best to look into our tomorrows and we'll... Uh, and and we, we want, we will to have the very best things. But sometimes what awaits us in the following year can be horrifying. Um, I remember in 2001, I was uh, 17 years old, December 31st, two, year 2000, I took in the fireworks with my parents and some friends in the inner harbor of Baltimore. I was getting ready to go into my, I was halfway through my junior year, getting ready to go into my senior year. And uh, what I did not uh, know awaited all of us in 2001 were the tragic events of September 11th. And uh, I, who knew, standing there on that, that night in the Inner Harbor in December, that uh, that was coming right, going to be happening uh, three hours northwest of me and one hour east of me, New York and and Washington. I remember the year 2013. I rang in the new year at the home of Ulysses and Melissa de Leon. Uh, they were uh, members of our Spanish church, and uh, they're in Baltimore. And my hope was that over the next 12 months, uh, I would leave that ministry I was a part of and had to go pastor another church and, and be a senior pastor for the first time. Instead, I was fired from my job and fell hard out of church ministry. I wanted to, to take a step up in my career, and instead I was not only let down out of church ministry, I was thrown out of church ministry hard on my, on my head. And uh, I uh, wanted good things, but the uncertainty that awaited me that year uh, was not pleasant. And then in 2020, I rang in the new year with a handful of you, uh, up in our church's fellowship hall into 2019 to 2020. I believe Miss Pam Dalton was there. The Ordonezes were there. My family was there. May have been a, a few others. Those are the ones that come to mind right away. But we rang in the new year together. We gathered. We prayed. And we hoped for good things. And what awaited us was the coronavirus. And uh, the coronavirus was, was has been difficult on our world. I know uh, for my wife's family and myself, we've watch the virus take a handful of people home to heaven that were very near and dear. There's been a lot of grieving that's gone on in our home. And I know for some of you, the virus has hit hard too. I suffered sickness this year with it. And many of you know folks or yourself have suffered with it and seen people pass away. We want good uh, as we enter into the new year. But the reality is over the next 12 months in 2022, we have no idea what awaits us. There is a spirit 
of uncertainty. And oftentimes when there's uncertainty, we are fearful and afraid, but for some reason, in some way, we have been able to take New Year's Eve with the uncertainty that awaits us, and we celebrate uncertainty. We celebrate uncertainty on that day with fireworks. We celebrate uncertainty with uh, cheers and, and all that goes on with that, but then we get into the new year, and lo and behold, there can be some difficult days that lie ahead. Uh, listen, you may be going through a time of uncertainty right now in your life, but there can be uncertainty at work. There can be uncertainty at work. Uh, you may be facing a pay cut where your boss comes to you and says, listen, we can lay off a whole bunch of people or we can cut everybody's pay by 5% and keep everybody here. Uh, you may be facing a pay cut. Uh, you may be uh, uh, facing uh, a lack of a pay raise. And you know what? We see inflation take the dollar and make it less and less valuable. And you hope to get that, uh, that enough of a raise to cover the inflation. And lo and behold, there's no raise and uh, the bills are tied and you wonder how you're going to make it happen and there's uncertainty of how the bills are going to get paid and then there's always the fear of being called into HR getting called into the human resources office if you're in a smaller company getting called into the uh, boss's office and him laying you off and saying we just can't afford to pay you right now and I'm sorry but uh, there's just going to be a, a downsizing in our uh, a company for a little while and we may bring you back on we may not but here's a pink slip uh, we're laying you off there can be uncertainty at work there can be uncertainty at home uncertainty at home um, many folks go through strained marriages and uh, there's, the, there's the bickering and arguing that may go on in a marriage, but then it can escalate to a place where there's uncertainty whether or not your marriage is even going to make it through the next 12 months. And uh, you wonder if you're going to be divorced uh, come 2023. And uh, is this the year where it finally all falls apart? You go from miserable to over. And that strained marriage, that strained relationship. Uh, uh, listen, when the marriage fires are not right and uh, the marriage is strained and the marriage is struggling, boy, the whole your whole quality of life just seems to not be good. There can be children. Uh, uh, you can, may have children that are becoming teenagers, like I have children becoming teenagers. 2022 is the year where we go from preteen in the home to a teenager in the home. How many of you will pray for Pastor Lejeune and Miss Angela as we... No, Matthew's a good boy. I'm, I'm picking on him here. Um, but uh, 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 children becoming teenagers. And Mark Twain said when they turn 13, put them in a box and put a hole in the box. He said when they turn 18, plug the hole. Amen? Um, Mark Twain had a couple of good quotes about teenagers. He said, he said, when I turned 14, man, my dad was the dumbest man on planet Earth. He said, then when I turned 21, my dad was the most intelligent man in the entire world. He said, it's amazing how smart my dad got in seven years. So... Some of you get that later. So, um, um, uh, listen, uh, uh, there can be this uh, uncertainty at home and the challenges of raising children. Uh, uh, there can be within your home, there can be the C word that rises up in 2022 where you find out someone you love dearly has cancer. And I, I mentioned this a couple, uh, I think it was last Sunday night, but pray for Pastor David Wilt and his wife Elizabeth. They uh, pastor a church on uh, Stanton Island there. In New York City. They're missionaries that plant, have a desire to plant churches all over the New York City area. They're looking to eventually hand this church off to a, a pastor and start a new church in Manhattan. And boy, we need churches 
in New York City. They found out that their little girl, their uh, seven-year-old daughter, Alethea, has, uh, has uh, leukemia this, uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And can you imagine getting that news and knowing that your daughter or your son or your spouse has cancer? There's a pastor who's a 17-year-old son who's getting ready to go off to a Christian college and study, uh, I believe it was uh, a liberal art type degree, and found out that he had cancer his senior year of high school. And his name is Logan. They've not been able to get all the cancer and uh, the struggle there. And listen, that is, that, is, that is an uncertainty on a level that none of us want to have to deal with. None of us want to have to understand. None of us want to have to hear that news sitting in a doctor's office and having the doctor come in and close the door and say, uh, you or such and such has cancer and to have to battle that as a family to deal with that as a family boy your mind races a hundred directions there can be other sicknesses among family members and other estranged uh, relationships if you have an adult child or a parent who maybe isn't treating you just right and listen uncertainty 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 can get us rattled the bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his soul. And Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus who became a lamb for us and was sacrificed in our place. But the point I'm trying to draw out here is we are like sheep in that when we're uncertain of our future and our and our in our in our, our uh, ambiance or our circumstances, boy, what can happen is we can become fearful and afraid, and we can shiver, if not uh, literally shiver, figuratively. We're uh, we're scared of what. What the future holds, and boy, in these times of uncertainty, how do we respond? I believe that when we face these times of uncertainty, that we can turn to the Word of God and see how the Lord wants us to handle ourselves. God has placed some amazing stories inside the Bible, some amazing stories that can help govern us when our tomorrows seem out of control. Let's look at this story of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And let's look at five principles that will help guide us through uncertainty. Five principles, and I'm going to give you some concluding thoughts. All right, quickly, let's go through these. Number one, notice their positioning. Their positioning. Look back at Exodus chapter 14 with me in your Bibles. And look at verse number one. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, that they turn in a camp between uh, Pi Haya Hiroth, uh, between uh, Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before, uh, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Notice from the passage who it was that told Moses where to take the Israelites. Notice who it was. It was not Moses that made a poor tactical decision. And took the Israelites here. It was God who told Moses to put them here where they were. It was God that put them in this place of uncertainty. When they arrived at the banks of the Red Sea, they found themselves between mountainous rocks on both sides and the Red Sea in front of them. So you see here, if you will imagine, you have this uh, beach area where the million Israelites or so are encamped, and to the east of them, they have a rock that goes up real high, a mountain, if you will, and to the west of them, they have a rock that goes up real high, if you will. So in front of them is the Red Sea, and they have a rock, and a rock. The Israelites have been placed here and they have been positioned literally between a rock and a hard place. A rock and 
and a hard place. It is important to note uh, that although the children of Israel had convinced themselves that it was Moses' doing, it was really God's doing. God had led them here. God had given Moses direct orders in verse 1 to lead them to what down what seemed to be a dead end road. You ever felt like you've been walking down a dead end road? You get to the end and you just don't know uh, uh, why you have traveled where you are and how you got where you're, why, or rather why you're there. Number one, we see their positioning. Number two, let's look at their problems, their problems. I'm going to give you a letter A and a letter B here. Let's jump right in. Notice letter A. They were stuck. They were stuck. Look down at verse number three. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land and uh, the wilderness hath shut them in. Shut them in. They are entangled. The wilderness hath shut them in. Look down at verse number 10. Verse 10, the Bible says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. Notice the emotion, sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. So in front of them they have the Red Sea. To the left is a rock. To the right is a rock. So they're landlocked where they are, and they can't, now they can't turn around and go back out. Why? Why can they not do that? They can't do that because now they have the Egyptians pressing in behind them and they are stuck right there uh, by the uh, Egyptians having them trapped uh, uh, right where they are. Uh, As if it wasn't bad enough that they're encamped by the Red Sea, now they have the Egyptians coming in hot, coming in heavy, and they are stuck. Letter B, they were skeptical. They were skeptical. Look down at verse number 10. We're going to read down through verse number 12 here. The Bible says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Look down at verse 14. Notice Moses' command. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Mankind can become so dependent upon their own logic that they are skeptical of God's man when he stands up and says, I am simply acting in accordance to God's plan. I am simply acting in accordance to God's plan. By the way, can I just uh, correct the Israelites' history, remembrance of history here? They were begging Moses to take them out of Egypt just a chapter ago. Just two chapters ago. And now that they're stuck and they're facing the Egyptians coming down and capturing them again, they're saying to Moses, didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Didn't we tell you not to take us out of here? This is your fault, Moses. Boy, they were skeptical. They were skeptical. Um, It is natural for us to want everything to work within our system of logic. We must... Always keep in mind that we are usually incapable of comprehending God's plan within the confines of our puny, finite brains. Yeah. 
God is above, and He's planning everything out, and He's bringing in this, and He's bringing in that. And we don't always like this. We may like that, but we don't like this because it's an ingredient that God's bringing in that just doesn't taste so good. I watched a, a, a pastor uh, preach a sermon in a college chapel, a Bible college chapel. I would never do this to you all because this would just be unkind. But to Bible college kids, you can abuse them a little bit. He brought up seven or eight Bible college boys and lined them across the platform. And he had the ingredients for cookies. And he set them down one ingredient at a time. And in one of the glasses, he had raw eggs. In another glass, he had molasses. In another glass, he had sugar. In another glass, he had flour. And he said to the boys, he said, All right, when I tell you, you're going to pick up that raw ingredient and you're going to eat it or drink it. And boy, some of these boys, they were delighted because they had sugar in front of them, right? And, and they got to, you know, put some sugar in their mouth. Some of the other boys had to put cinnamon in their mouth. How many of you ever tried raw cinnamon? Not so good. Not so good. It's a good way to get you to cough. And uh, the other boy had to pick up raw eggs, and, and he didn't make him drink the whole thing, but, you know, like the Rocky music started playing in the background, right? Da, 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 da. And uh, he's, uh, he's going after it, right? And uh, listen, the point the, the pastor was making is that uh, sometimes these ingredients that God brings into our life, they don't taste so good, but when you put them all together, how many like chocolate chip cookies? God is trying to bring about chocolate chip cookies in your life. He's got a plan. He's trying to draw up some of the ingredients God brings our way. Some of the struggles that God brings our ways are times of bitterness and hurt and struggle. But God brings them into our life because he's, he's trying to work a greater good. Listen, the best thing you can do when a hardship comes into your life, quit trying to figure out what God's doing and just trust Him. Quit questioning God every time I urge, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why this sickness? Why this struggle? Why this problem? Understand that God is above. He's in your yesterdays. He's in your todays. He's in your tomorrows. Uh, he's not bound by time. He's infinite in every way. He's infinite in His knowledge. He's infinite in His capacity to exist. God loves you and He's trying to work a greater good. We have to quit being skeptical of a God who loves us and is looking out for our best. They were skeptical. Moses, why did you bring us here? Why did you let this happen? You see, they're blaming a man for something that is God's doing when they can't see what is going on. They were skeptical. We see their positioning. We see their problem. Let's move on and notice number three, God's plan. God's plan. Look back with me at verse number one. And let's read down through verse number 4, Exodus 14, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn in and camp, turn in and camp before Pi Ha'iroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it shall ye encamp, encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon uh, Pharaoh and upon all the hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God's instruction to the people was simple. Go to the bank of the Red Sea and encamp there. God did not give a specific timeline. He was specific in the location, but gave no details of the timeline. Pastor, how long will it be until I'm gainfully employed? I, I don't know, but, but God's 
plan for you right now is to encamp right where you are. Pastor, how long until God takes this sickness from me or from someone that I love? I don't know, but God's plan for you right now is to encamp right there where you are. Pastor, how long until my relationship struggles subside? Pastor, I'm doing all I can to follow God's word and bring these relationship struggles to a close. How long until this subsides? I I don't know, but God's plan for you right now is to encamp right there where he's led you. Right there where you are. Pastor, how long until these emotional struggles? I feel like I'm walking, trying to walk out of a a heavy heart. And and Pastor, I I feel as though my feet are almost in tar. And I, I can't move forward. I can't break away. How long until the light of day breaks through and I'm able to lay down this heavy burden that has plagued me. I I don't know. But God's plan for you right now is to encamp right there where you are. You see, God led the Israelites here and He didn't say, go here and here's the plan. Wouldn't it have been great if God would have said to the Israelites, all right guys, huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. Here's the plan. I'm going to lead you right here where it looks like you're trapped. And then right when the Egyptians get to you, I'm going to part the Red Sea. You're going to walk right through. They're going to come in behind you trying to kill you. And I'm going to drop the Red Sea on them. I'm going to wipe them all out. Ready? Break. Wouldn't that have been great? You know what? You know why God did not tell them exactly what His plan was? Because He was trying to grow their faith. Boy, I would have loved it. I would love it at, on, on New Year's Eve if God would come down and say to me, here are all the hardships that await you over the next 12 months. Here's why I'm going to let this, this, and this happen, and here is the end result of what I'm going to accomplish. I would love it if God... How many would like it if God would do that for you? He's not going to do it. You know Why? Please hear what I'm about to say. The journey of growing your faith is more important than you knowing what God's trying to do. The Lord wants you to get to a place where when your expectations are not met and things are not going your way, Instead of wringing your hands and tossing and turning and pacing the floor and losing sleep and calling everyone on the phone and and trying to figure things out through your own understanding and questioning God over everything that goes wrong, that immediately your reflex is to stop and say, Lord, I'm going to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to be still and know that You are God. I'm going to be still and watch how You're going to work all things out for my good. God led them there and He said, in camp. In camp. How long, God? I'm not going to tell you how long you're going to encamp by the Red Sea, Israel, but I want you to encamp. This is the place I want you at right now. It may feel that you're at a dead-end road. It may feel that this makes no sense. But this is where I want you. God's plan. Number four, notice God's proficiency. God's proficiency. This story of course, ranks inside of the top ten, maybe even the top five, of most amazing miracles that God performed in recorded Scripture. 
I want to take just a moment and give you the two elements that must be in place for God's proficiency to take place. Letter A, notice His capability. His capability. Look down at verse number 21. Verse number 21. The Bible says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Oh, I wish I could have been there to see this. Verse 22, And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Wow. Uh, I, listen, I don't care what Hollywood comes up with. They will never be able to duplicate what actually happened that day. Can you imagine waking up and, and feeling a wind ripping through your tent? And uh, you go outside and you look, and the Red Sea that had been laying there so calmly before you a few minutes ago, there is a, a, a walking path big enough to get a volume of a million people to cross in short order. Now, um, there are some um, uh, videos you can find online where they believe they have, and I believe the, the video to be accurate, they have found the place where the Red Sea would have been parted. And uh, in, in essence, they've not only found that, they found many of the objects, many of the landmarks that we read about in Scripture in the next handful of chapters, including uh, Mount Horeb, where God came down and met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. They believe they found the flint rock where the water poured out and, and, and gave the million Israelites and all their animals uh, water to drink. It's a fascinating video online that, that you can watch, and, and, and it, it's wonderful. But right there below the ground, just a, a, a handful of uh, feet below the ground, there is a rock ledge wide enough to get all these people across. And I believe that God divided the waters in such a way where that rock ledge would have had no mud on it and would have given them a natural uh, walking path from one side to the other. What a God. What a miracle. Someone said, well, they didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is only two or three inches deep. And so whoop-de-doo. And I would say, well, that is even more miraculous because God drowned the entire Egyptian army in two or three inches of water. That's, I think that might be a bigger miracle. So he divided the Red Sea. All through Scripture, you will find that our God is a powerful God. Not only did he divide the Red Sea, he knocked down the walls of Jericho. He caused the sun to stand still for a 24-hour day. He raised the widow's son from the dead. He burned up Elijah's sacrifice on Mount Carmel. He, um, he, he healed Naaman of his leprosy. He turned the water into wine. He gave Peter the power to walk on water. and He fed the 5,000 plus people with only five loaves of bread and two small fishes. But perhaps the greatest miracle of all was the day that Jesus saved me and He saved you from my sins and your sins. And He breathed into our eternal soul the breath of salvation. Listen, this morning I want to tell you, I have been regenerated. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Purged of my sin. Given an eternal home in God's promised land. Adopted from this world and made to be a child of the King of Kings. 
I am joint heirs with Christ. I am part of the Beloved. I am the friend of God. And, I, uh, and we serve a God who is capable of doing anything. There are, however, two elements to the proficiency of our Almighty God. Now, we first saw God's capability, but let me give you the second element, and notice it's our compliance. Our compliance. The hard truth is that God works through human beings to accomplish His perfect plan. Notice God's orders to Moses. And then Moses' orders to the people. Look back at Exodus 14. and Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Look at verse 16. Notice God's command to Moses. But lift, lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go, go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Watch this now. God would have never divided the Red Sea if Moses had not led them to dwell there to begin with. Had Moses disobeyed God's orders and not taken them to this dead-end road, we would never have this miracle in the Bible. God would have never divided the Red Sea if Moses had not raised his rod. Can you imagine Moses arguing with God and saying, You want me to do what? You want me to stand on that rock over there, elevated above all the people, and you want me to hold my rod over the water? And what if the water doesn't divide? I'm going to look like a, a fool. These people already think I'm crazy for having led them here, and now you want me to hold a rod over the Red Sea so you can divide? You can't. God, what do you can't divide the waters, God? What do you? You're setting me up for utter failure. They're going to take me out, and they're going to stone me if this doesn't work. If we don't die at the ends of the Egyptians first. You know, for God to part the Red Sea, Moses had to be willing and compliant to go over there and hold up that rod and take a risk and hold that out over the water. The winds began and the sea divided. And I can see the Israelites getting ready to line up and walk across. And I can see old negative Nelly or negative Ned. And they're standing there, right? And pessimistic Polly. And they're going, hmm... What if the wind quits blowing? What if the water comes crashing down on me? You know what? I'm going to take a rain check. I, I, I like my chances of going back to Egypt and being a slave. You know, for God to have performed this miracle, those Israelites had to do something that must have felt quite risky. And that was to actually walk through the Red Sea. How many of you uh, teenagers and kids uh, are like me? You'd have walked through and just stuck your hand in the water to see how many fish you could have grabbed, right? Uh, spear fishing, right? Right there. And uh, I like to ride down the road. When I was a boy, I'd like to ride down the road with the windows down. I grew up in the southeast where it was legal to ride in the back of pickup trucks down the highway. And uh, listen, that was awesome. I had a great time with that. How many of you ever ridden down the, back, uh, down the highway in the back of a pickup truck? You have lived life. The rest of you have not yet lived life, okay? Now, I'm not recommending you do that because you get in trouble with the law here in Connecticut. Um, but, uh, boy, I it did that. And one of the other things we do is we didn't have air. We had, uh, we had air conditioning. It was called 460 air conditioning. 
That's when all four windows are down and the car is going 60 miles an hour, all right? And um, I would stick my hand out the window, and I'd put my hand like this, and up and down, up and down, up and down. And I can imagine having the hand in the water, going up and down, up and down, right? Pulling that hand out, putting it back in, pulling it. But listen, there were Israelites who very well could have been like, I'm not, I, no, I'm, I'm not walking through that. For God to have, uh, for God to have accomplished a successful miracle, Yes, God, His capability needed to be on display, but their compliance was a major factor. If God's people had not been compliant, He would have, not, he would have never knocked down the walls of Jericho. If God's people had not continued to pursue the enemy, He would have never caused the sun to stand still. He would have never raised the widow's son from the dead if Elijah had not been willing to pray and trust God to do so. He would have not burned up Elijah's sacrifice on Mount Carmel, or Carmel, depending on how you pronounce it, if Elijah had not been willing to pray and call fire down from heaven. He would have never healed Naaman of his leprosy if Naaman had not been willing to dip himself in the Jordan River that seventh time. He would have never turned the water into wine if they had not gone and filled those vases up with water and brought them to him and been willing to dip the cup in the water and take it to the governor of the feast and uh, run the risk of looking like a fool in front of everyone. He would have never given Peter the power to walk on water had Peter not been willing to step out of the edge of the boat. He would have, not, he would have never fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fishes, if there had not been an anonymous little boy who would have said, "Lord, I don't know how you can do it, and I don't know uh, all of the, the I don't know all of the details, but Lord, my heart of faith is trusting in God. Uh, here is my lunch. I'm willing to do without in order for you to have it, in order for you to use it." You see, Psalm 78 verse 41 says, "Speaking of the Israelites, yea, they turned back and tempted God." Listen to this incredible phrase. The Bible says, "And limited the Holy One of Israel." They limited the Holy One of Israel. How do you take a God who is all-powerful? How do you limit a God and His power uh, when you have a God who's all-powerful? I'll tell you how to do it. Do not trust in that God. You see, there are two elements here. There's God's capability. Boy, God is all-powerful, but He's looking for a Christian who's willing to trust Him and be compliant. I am asked on a regular basis, why would God send a person to hell who lived and died and never even heard the name of Jesus ever mentioned? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us God's will for mankind. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. Listen to this. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. But that all, all, that word all means all. I looked it up in the Greek. For our Calvinist friends, all means all. All should come to repentance. I don't mean to, like, park here. Yes, I do. Um, 
God wants everyone to go to heaven. God does not create just a few elect people to save and take to heaven. God wants everyone. That is His will. Calvinists have to do uh, all kinds of uh, weird jumping jacks around 2 Peter 3.9. God is not willing that uh, any, any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's pretty foolproof if you ask me. Then why do people go to hell? Why do people who've never heard the name Jesus, who live in this 1040 longitude latitude window, why do they go to hell? There's a lot of ways to answer that question. And that's not really the point of my sermon today to, to fully answer that question. I, Brother Tom might address that a little bit in his class. I don't know if he will or not, but he may. But I want to give you one angle on the answer here. Jesus did his part to save all of mankind when he died on the cross. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, Go tell the world. And if that wasn't clear enough, he said, Jerusalem, that's the city that you live in. Judea, that's the province or the state that you live in. Samaria, that's the part of town you all don't like. Go tell them too. And if, and if I need to be any more clear, and then go to the uttermost. That means tell everyone on planet earth, breathing air, that Jesus saves. Now watch this. God did His part to save mankind when He died on the cross. Then He left it up to me and you to make sure every single person hears the name of Jesus. If someone goes to hell and has never heard the name Jesus, whose fault is it? Is it his fault that they didn't hear? Or is it our fault as Christians for not doing our part to get the word of God? You see, we blame everything negative that we don't like on God. As though it's his fault. Cancer is God's fault. And a chronic illness is God's fault. And my marriage broke off and it's God's fault. And uh, uh, all of these hearts, I got fired. God, why did you let me get fired? Wait a minute here. We lay the blame of everything bad in life at God's feet. We fail to see that sin curse hurts. We fail to see that our own decision making hurts. There are people in the middle of Asia middle of Brazil, South America. There are people in the middle of Africa and Europe, even people in the middle of this country, who will never know the name of Jesus beyond a slang term. One day they're going to die and go to hell because Christians were too lazy and too distracted to take the truth of the gospel and articulate it to them where they could hear it and understand it. My friend, if someone goes to hell without having heard the name Jesus and His saving grace, it's not that He isn't capable. It's His will that all be saved. It's because you and I weren't compliant. You see, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and they fell. Had they not marched, the walls wouldn't have fallen. Elijah laid on the boy and prayed and God gave him life back. Had Elijah not been willing to pray and and do his part, the boy would have never lived. The little boy gave his lunch to Jesus and Jesus fed the multitudes. Had no lunch been given, the multitudes would have never been fed. God is capable. Are we compliant?
Let's look at number five. Let's look at their praise. Their praise. We've seen their positioning, their problems, God's plan, God's proficiency. Lastly, their praise. Look at verse number one of chapter 15. Exodus 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. The Bible says, Then sang Moses, so now they're on the other side of the Red Sea. The, 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 the sea has collapsed on the Egyptian armies who are coming to capture them and take them back. The Egyptian armies have been killed. Uh, the Israelites have been delivered from their bondage fully and totally. God's will has been uh, worked out. Uh, even though they fretted and worried, it all happened. Look at verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. When we are compliant with God's plan, the end result will always be praise. The end result will always be praise. There have been all kinds of times in my life where it's been sketchy and I've wondered what's going on and, and, and why this is happening and, and, and why this hardship and why this financial burden and, and why this layoff from work or why was I fired and let go and, and all of these health concerns that can plague us from every angle and you sit back and you go, God, what are you doing? But you trust in God and you watch Him at work. You watch Him go to work and you watch Him take the hardships of life and, and turn it into something good at the end. And you step back in need and say, oh God, you were so great. Oh God, I wish my faith had been more perfect. But Lord, through these experiences, my faith has been made more perfect. You see, when you trust God through hardships, the end result is always praise. I would have loved to have been there that day and seen the, red, uh, the Israelites uh, fret and worry and fear and, and threaten, to, to, to threaten Moses and, and his well-being and See that water part, see the Israelites go across, see the waters close there on the armies, and then stand there and listen to the Israelites praise the God of heaven for having delivered them. Let me finish the message this morning with some concluding thoughts. I'm going to call these points of practicality. All right, this is where the sermon gets super, super, super practical. Write these down, all right? During times of uncertainty... Be still. Be still. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. Look here. And ye shall hold your peace. You know what Moses was saying in a polite way? He was saying, be still and shut up. <laughs> Quit complaining! The Israelites had a complaining problem. Be still. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. There are times of tumult and struggle in life. And I am a fixer. I like to fix things. Right? There's a problem. I want to just jump right in there and get it fixed. How many men have made the mistake of your wife's laying out her soul, her burden in her soul, and you cut her off with the solution? How many of you men have made that mistake? How many of you men still make that mistake occasionally? <laughs> we don't learn, do we? 
Let me fix you. Stop trying to fix her problems, okay? Um, Just listen. Just listen. And I'm talking to myself as much as I am all of you. I like to fix things, but sometimes God doesn't want me to run in and fix things. Sometimes God wants me to just sit still and let Him fix things. How many times have I gotten into a car I can't even count? Just gone for a long ride, found some quiet place off the beaten path and parked my car and looked up at at the sky, looked up at the constellations, you understand those, those stars are light years apart and they make perfect formations. That didn't happen by accident. There was a God who stretched out the heavens. He put the stars in the sky. How can a star be all those light years away and yet we still see its stream of light? Because God created them close to the earth and that Psalm tells us He stretched them out, leaving their light trail behind them. And I look up and I see a God who's capable of creating the heavens and the earth. A God who's all-powerful. A God who understands me on a molecular level. He knows every tear I've shed. He knows every thought I've thunk. He knows every step I've taken. I look, at that, look up at that God and I understand not only is He powerful, He's personal. He loves me. And I look up at God with uncertainty in my heart and I say, I may have uncertainty here, but I am certain I know who you are. And I'm certain you love me. And I'm certain you have my best interest at heart. Be still. Quit trying to fix everything and be still. One more, uh, let me give you another point of practicality. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You say, Pastor, I've got uncertainty in my future. I don't know when this problem is going to come to an end or how it's going to be resolved. What do I do? Well, first, in your spirit, be still. But uh, when I say be steadfast, keep doing those things that you know are right. I find that with church attendance, a very interesting anomaly takes place. When hardships and uncertainty hit the unchurched, many times they end up going to church. But when hardships and uncertainty hit the churched, oftentimes they quit going to church. I bump into someone occasionally who is, uh, maybe I see him at Walmart, I see him at the grocery store, I see him at Target or the mall or out and about. And You know, it's funny, when a, a church member isn't in church and hadn't been in a while, and they see me, they duck down another aisle. Right? I feel like I'm playing hide-and-go-seek. Don't act like you don't see me. Oh, hi, Pastor. And then they tell the biggest, fattest lie. It's good to see you. How many of you ever gotten a text from me when you miss church for a while that says, hello there? And you think, oh, he's texting me because I haven't been in church. The best thing you can do when hardships come into your life is keep doing those things that you know are right. 
You ever read your Bible and felt like you weren't getting much out of it? Read anyway. You ever prayed and felt like your prayers were just bouncing around the room? Pray anyway. You ever gone to church and felt like you weren't getting much out of the preaching or uh, much out of the fellowship? Go to church anyway. You ever woke up on Monday morning and felt like not going to work? Go to work anyway. You ever wanted to check out of your marriage and not do your part to make the home up a place that it was happy? Do your part anyway. You may just have to fake it till you make it a little bit. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. You'll get through it. God will carry you through, but keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast. Your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Uh, you, uh, the Bible says, uh, 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 faint not, because if you continue forward, you will reap if you faint not. Be not weary in well-doing. There it is. For in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Be still. Be steadfast. Be serving. Be serving. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says, Therefore... My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmoving. Listen to this phrase. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. On top of your job and on top of your family and on top of everything else, make sure that your heart to do the work of God never takes a break. Never takes a break. You're an usher here? Keep ushering. You're... Nursery worker, keep working in that nursery. You, you, uh, you, you're helping in some area around here with the bus ministry. You continue to serve God in your area of service. Don't take a break. My friend, it may be tough, and there may be times of uncertainty. Always abound in the work of the Lord. We honor and respect and reverence, as we ought to, Christians who've been faithful in their service for 20, 30, and 40 years, who've been there week in and week out, I was talking to a pastor recently who's been pastoring for about 30 years. And I asked him this question. I said, how has pastoring become more difficult since you started? He didn't miss a a beat. He didn't think about it. He right away said 30 years ago people were more reliable than they are today. He said today people are much quicker to quit serving God at church than they were 30 years ago. A whole bunch of has-beens sitting on the pews. A whole bunch of used-to-be's sitting on the pews. I used to usher. I used to uh, uh, help with a bus route. I used to teach a class. I, I used to give toward the work of the Lord. I, I used to be involved. I, I used to be ready at a moment's notice to step up and help. But, you know, I have too much going on in my life, and I need to take a step back, and I need to take a break. And the Bible says, uh, 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 rather, uh, right, right, the Bible says Solomon said, a faithful man who can find... Where are they? Where are the faithful men? Where are the men who will step up and say, it does not matter how I feel. I will not be led by how I feel. I will be led by truth. And I will be led by what's right. Too often times we wake up on a sunny morning and we decide on whether or not we're going to church based on how we feel that day. We decide on whether or not we're going to serve the Lord based on how we feel at that moment and season of life. We need godly men who will rise up and say, I will not let my feelings be the locomotive in my life. I will let what's right be the locomotive in my life and my feelings will figure themselves out. Be serving. 
Number four, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6-8 says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Be sober. Be sober. Listen, we need to get our heads on straight. Times of uncertainty get us all rattled. It gets me rattled too sometimes. I can't imagine sitting in a doctor's office and finding out that myself or one of my family members has a chronic illness, maybe even a terminal illness. That would rattle me like it would any of you here. You know, when those times come of uncertainty, what God needs of us is not for us to abandon our faith and abandon Him. What God needs us to do is to trust Him. And just say, you knew this day was coming yesterday and last week and last month and last year. And you know what's coming tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. And God, come what may, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk in your light. And I'm not going to abandon that which I know to be the truth. We're to be sober-minded. Some of you here this morning, you're going through a time of uncertainty. Are you being still? Are you being steadfast? Are you serving? Are you sober-minded? My friend, God's called us to keep on keeping on. I don't know what 2022 holds. None of us do. Only God does. But I know this. God's still going to be on the throne 12 months from today. You can't impeach Him. And He's not going to resign. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How are you handling uncertainty today? God might have you right now in your life between a rock and a hard place. And God might have you feeling like an enemy is pressing down behind you. Are you content to encamp there until God is ready to work? Are you ready to do your part and be compliant so His capabilities can be on full display? How many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, I've not handled uncertainty like I ought to. Pastor, pray for me that I will trust God and be faithful through times of uncertainty. Here's here's my hand, Pastor. Pray for me. Pray for me. Lord, I pray for those that have a hand raised. I pray, God, that you would help them to take this message to heart. Thank you that the Bible is filled with stories where, Lord, in troublesome times you come through. Help us to trust you. Help us to accept not only in our head, but in our hearts, that your way is best. Work in each life today in Jesus' name.